Okay, this morning we're going to start off here in God's Word in Joshua chapter 4. And the Bible says, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of men, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place, where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe of men. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they, they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, passed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war were passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye out up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed all over his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel, come over the Jordan on this dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you, and until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that ye fear the Lord your God forever. Let's open in the word of prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you now that we could gather here again this morning just to learn from your word. I pray that you fill us all with your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord. Guide us and teach us through your truth. And I pray that you just um, bless the preaching of your word, God. And we thank you for that lovely song as well, Lord. And just 
remind us all of us, Lord, that you're never too far from us when we pray, God. We just, you know, even if we don't know what to pray, Lord, I pray you just, you just help us to pray anyway, as your word says, God. Um, teach us this morning, Lord, from your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to um, preach a message that I had preached a while back down in Cargilline Baptist Church. It was just a message that brought, God brought to my heart this morning. Um, and it's, it's about teaching the next generation what effect will we have on the next generation. We just read there in Joshua chapter 4 about God commanding Joshua and the people of Israel to leave a memorial. And to give some background or context here, in Joshua chapter 1, Moses had died and God selected Joshua to lead his people. In Joshua, in, also in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua was commanded to lead Israel into the promised land. Um, Moses, you know, that was supposed to be his job. That's what he thought he was going to be doing until he um, struck the rock the second time, disobeyed the Lord God. And upon doing so, Moses forfeited that right. Moses forfeited that part of God's plan for his life, and it went instead to Joshua. We also see in Joshua chapter 2 that Joshua sends the spies. He sends the spies into Jericho to check it out, to see what it's like, to see what kind of armies are there or what kind of um, enemies await before them, to see what kind of work it will take for them to go into this promised land. And the two spies... They ended up striking a deal with Rahab in order to save the lives of herself and her family in Joshua chapter 2. And in Joshua chapter 3, Israel passed through the Jordan River on dry land with the help of God. And here in Joshua chapter 4, we see God commanding Joshua to leave a memorial. And it describes how, just like in Joshua chapter 3, that God had allowed them, that God had helped them to pass through the Jordan River just like God had helped Moses to lead the people of Israel through the Red Sea, that God would lead them through and keep them dry. And here God is commanding Joshua and commanding um, him to, um, to set up a memorial so that the children of Israel, when they would ask their fathers, what do these stones mean, that they would be able to tell them what the stones represented that each one of the stones representing each tribe of Israel that were brought through safely through the Jordan River by God's hand, by God's mighty hand. So you can see that the memorial, these 12 stones that were to be placed in the midst of the Jordan River were to be a sign, to be a monument to the people so that when their sons and daughters asked what these stones meant, that they would then tell their children about what had happened and how God had helped him to pass through the Jordan River into the Promised Land, just like God had led um, the people through the Red Sea through Moses. So why are memorials important? You know, why, why was God commanding Joshua to instruct the children of Israel to leave this memorial here? Why were these stones important? You know, was it the stones themselves that were the importance? You know, was it the monument that was the important thing? Was it, the, was, it the, was it the memorial itself that was to be the, the focus? No, it was what the memorial represented, what these stones represented. It was the truth of how Israel were brought through safely. 
You see, that's why this was important. You see, memorials make people remember about things that have happened. Okay, memorials help people to remember about the truth that had happened. Okay, you know, we think of, um, you know, the many, many burial sites um, scattered around Europe um, as a result of World War II. You know, there's fields upon fields lined with cross upon cross, um, marking the graves of many a man and um, soldier that died during World War II. Um, people from Ireland, England, America, um, Russia, Poland, um, many, many, um, countless thousands of people had died through at that time. And they had died fighting for a purpose that they believed in. They had died fighting for many of the liberties that we kind of have in Europe at this moment in time. And the reason that those crosses are there is to remind us of that. The crosses are there to act as a memorial. If those crosses weren't there and those bodies were just buried in that field and there was nothing for us to see and remind us of what those soldiers had done, we wouldn't give any attention to that field. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't be drawn into our memory of those many soldiers that died for that purpose. You see, they're there to make us remember. You know, memorials force people, forces us to ask the question, what happened? What happened there? You know, why are these crosses spread out across this field? Why so many? Um, you see, it's, it's, it's to stir that question up inside us. You know, what was the truth that happened here? You know, what really happened? What really went on? You know, it was the same in the Philippines. When I went over there, there was graveyards over there too with many, um, many soldiers that had died as well. And there's many of these graveyards <coughs> scattered all across the world just in relation to World War II. Not to mention the other graveyards for the other wars. You see, they're there to force us to remember. They're there to force us to remember. You know, when the two towers came down in 9-11, for a long time they had left um, the rubble in that heap when it came down. You know, they weren't, they weren't super quick to clean that up. You know, they didn't, they didn't rush in and build a new building there straight away. Why was that? Again, it was there to remind the people of what had happened. It was there to force them to remember. And you see, remem- you know, having these memorials, having these monuments, you know, to help us to remember. And um, in the case of Israel here, they were there to help keep the people closer to God. So that when the children of Israel would ask, what do these stones mean? Why, you know, why is there 12 stones lined up in a line here? You know, it didn't happen by accident. You know, people back then knew that if those 12 stones lined up in a place, it didn't happen by accident. You know, evolution will teach you that things do happen by an accident, but clearly they don't. And it would, these 12 stones all neatly lined up in a line would force the people of Israel to question what do these stones mean? And then they're, the, the, the elders would tell them what they represented and why they were placed there. You see, it forced the people to remember what had happened, and in doing so, it helped keep the children of Israel closer to God. So this morning, I want us to look at, you know, how can Christians today affect the next generation? You know, how can we leave memorials that will um, force the next generation to stay closer to God and to ask about the truth um, and about the might that God had showed in our lives. Well, firstly, you know, we need to live differently. We need to live differently. 
you know, turn quickly, keep your, um, you can keep your hand there in Joshua 4, but turn quickly to 2 Corinthians 517. 2 Corinthians 517 very familiar portion of scripture. And the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So you can see here the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. He was writing to the Christians here. And he was obviously trying to teach them about, you know, if anyone has given themselves over to Christ, if anyone has invited Christ into their lives, if anyone has been born again, and place their full trust in Jesus Christ, according to Paul and according to God's word here, that same person should be a new creature. Okay, The old things should be passed away and all things should become new. This person should be different. Okay, And how will people know that this person is different? Because they should be seen by those around them to be living differently. Okay, Oftentimes, the... Um, the best testimony that we have is to those that know us the, the best. Okay, to our own family members, to our friends that we used to hang out with a lot. You know, they would have seen us the way we were. Okay, they would have seen, um, you know, the places we went to, um, possibly the clothes we used to wear, the words that used to come out of our mouth, the way we used to think, um, the people we used to um, hang around with. You see, they would, have, they would have known this. They would have known who you are. And if you were really changed, if you were really born again, that change should have happened, right? Some things should have started changing straight away and other things change over time. But according to God's word, we should be different. We should be living differently. People should see that we're living differently than the way we were before. Okay? So um, we should be living differently. We should be seen by those around us to be living differently. If, you know, if our family members look at us and don't see a change, if they don't see that we're different than the way we were before, then you'd have to ask yourself, what's changed? You know, what's different? What am I doing um, differently than I was before? Am I, am I telling, am I telling people about Jesus now? Am I? Am I choosing to separate myself from the things of the world and, and from the worldly things? And am I focusing on God? Are people seeing that? You know, is that, is that the testimony that we have in our lives? Or are we just going through the same old way, doing the same old things? You know, we need to be living differently. You know, if our family members and our closest friends, you know, our work colleagues, if they, if they, haven't, if they haven't seen a change in us, then have we really changed? You know, have we have we started to live differently or are we living the same old way? Are we speaking the same? Are the same old words coming out of our mouth? You know, back in back before I was born again, there was words coming out of my mouth that I that, that are not good. Okay? You know, they're vulgar. Okay, there were words that are just seem to be in ingrained into um, most of the Western world's vocabulary these days, you know, they just use them as adjectives, you know, describing words, 
They're not adjectives. They're, they're, they're foul language. And yet, we, we were using them. I was using them time and time again. You know, when I was born again, that had to stop. You know, I could not communicate that same way. You know, evil communication should not be coming out for me. Okay? Evil communication should not be allowed to come into me. All right? Things had to change. Things had to be different. You know, the, the clothes I used to wear, um, not that I wear suits all day. You know, I used to wear suits in a sales job. I do not like wearing suits all day. Um, I wear jeans. I wear track suits. But there was other certain apparel, um, mostly um, music, um, apparel, um, you know, things that would give worship and glory to these rock bands. That's what I was doing. You know, when I was wearing hoodies with Metallica on it, you know, I was telling people that, hey, I follow Metallica. You know, I follow Slayer. I follow all these bands. That's, that's what I was doing. I was, I was instructing people that here is my God. Here is who I follow and devote myself to. Okay? That had to change. Now, I don't go around wearing hoodies with crosses on them all day long either. But, you know, it would be better than to be wearing hoodies talking about Metallica or talking about things of the world. You know, these days I just choose to wear cleaner and plainer clothes. Um, But again, it's for the purpose of changing. It's for the purpose of instead of glorifying the things of the world, we should be glorifying our Father in heaven. Things should change. Things should be different. If people aren't seeing a change in you, then that change hasn't happened. Okay? Now, you're not going to get the victory over everything in one go, but it's a, it's a work in progress. It's called sanctification. But the, the instigator of that change has to come from within you. You have to want to change. You have to want to live differently. And people should see that. People should see that you're not going to the same places anymore. You're not hanging around with the same people anymore. You're not watching and listening to the same things anymore. People should see that change in you. We need to live differently. If, if Christians were living differently and the people around us noticed that and the world saw us living differently and the, and the world saw that Christians were set apart, that they were in fact a peculiar people, that they were a royal priesthood separated unto God, I think that would get people to start asking questions. Why are these guys different? What's up with these guys? Why aren't they going to the same places we're going to? Why aren't they wearing the same clothes that we're wearing? Why aren't they listening and watching to the same things we're watching? You see, it would force them to ask the question. It would force them to think about their own selves. What's different with these people? What's different with Gavin? What's different with Graham? What's different with Leo? It would force the people around you to ask, what's different? Why are they so happy? Why are they filled with so much joy? You know, not that that we're perfect every day, but people should see the joy in your lives when you're born again. You know, you're, you're, we're not going to be on top of the mountains all the time. Sometimes we go through valleys, right? But that joy is supposed to stay with us all the time. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If we have the Spirit, we should have joy, okay? Now, we can mask and hide that joy, but that's, that's of our own doing, right? It's not, it's not God's doing. God is not hiding and taking the joy away from us. That's, that's us. We're allowing the circumstances around us to, to dictate that, right? But we should be showing others. We should be, we should be a visible, readable testimony for those around us that we have changed and that someone has changed us, that being Jesus Christ. So we need to live differently. If we are living differently, people will notice that. People will see it. 
and it will actually cause an impact. It could possibly cause them to change themselves, to draw closer to God. We need to be living differently. We need to be keeping God's commandments. John, turn to John 14, John chapter 14, verse 15. John chapter 14, 15. Look what Jesus says here. You know, let's just, let's just look at in verse, in verse 14. As Jesus here is talking about praying. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, Jesus was talking here, saying that, you know, if you ask of me, if you come to me, if you pray to me in my name, I will do it. If it's according to God's will, I will do it. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says... If ye love me, keep my commandments. Okay, so you can see that these two are kind of connected here. You know, we're learning this, 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 this month about prayer and coming to God and asking him to do things and to help us out in our lives. And God will, if it's a part of his will, he will help us out. It mightn't be on our timing, but he will do it. But you can see here, Jesus kind of puts a, a follow-on to that. He says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. You know, many a times we find that we're coming, we're... we're we're running to God. We're running to God to get us out of our bad situations. We're running to God to fix the problems in our lives. We're running to God to supply our needs. But yet, are we really loving Him? You know, are we, are we, are we really showing God that, hey God, I'm putting you first. I'm, I'm putting all other things aside in my life to love you first. And I'm going to trust in you that you will sort my problems because I love you. And you know that I love you, God, because you see and you know the thoughts and intents of my heart. You can see that I am trying to do what you want me to do. Are we doing that? You know, Or are we just running to God all the time to fix the problems of our lives, but yet we don't want to, try and f- we don't want to, to, do, the, to do the first part of that problem fixing? We're not loving God. We're not keeping his commandments. Again, if, if we were truly loving God and we were really keeping God's commandments, I think those around us would notice that. They would see that. You know, they would see that we are going out of our way to do things differently. We are going out of our way to keep God's commandments. Can, can we keep all 613 Levitical laws? No, we're not. You know, that's, that's what God's grace is there for. But there's some very basic commandments that God gave the New Testament church that we should be able to keep. All right? You know, um, Jesus said, go, teach, preach, you know, tell, tell people what I've told you. You know, that was a commandment given to, given to um, the apostles, given to the first century church. It's not so hard. You just have to get up and go, all right? It can be hard telling people about Jesus for sure, but it's not as hard as some of the Levitical laws, okay? Um, you know, you try keeping the Sabbath day, you know, not cooking food, not preparing anything, not doing anything. That's what the Sabbath day was, and that was a hard law to keep. You know, and there's, there's many other tough Levitical laws that would be a lot tougher to keep than just simply going telling people about Jesus. I think Jesus was giving us the easier side of things than he did the children of Israel. But we need to keep God's commandments. We need to go out of our way to, to make sure that we're staying close to God, doing what God wants us to do. And if we do that out of our love for God, people will see that. 
people would see that we're living differently. We should. We need to be keeping God's commandments. You know, we need to. We need to live differently. We shouldn't be living the same way as the world. We should be living differently than the world. Turn to Ephesians four. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4. See what Paul says here in verse 17. Okay, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Okay, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. You see, before we were born again, before I was born again, I was ignorant. Okay, I I had my heart blinded. I could not see the truth of God. I could not see that I was a sinner. I could not see um, what God wanted me to do, just like these other Gentiles. But when I when I when I repented, okay, when I turned and decided, you know, God is right and I'm wrong, that I need to put my trust in Him, that I am a sinner, and without Him, I deserve to go to hell. I had to change. I had to, I had to step away from the darkness and leave God's light light the way. I had to change. And by doing so and being born again, you then live differently and we should be living differently from the world. We should not be living as the Gentiles walk. Okay, we should not be living as the rest of the world do. You know, if we're living and doing the same things that the rest of the world is doing, um, even though they're blinded and they're ignorant of God's truth, um, you know, we should not be doing that. We don't have the same excuses they do. We have the truth. God has given us the truth. God has given us his Holy Spirit if we've accepted Jesus into our life. We know what's right and what's wrong. We should be living differently. We should not be living the same as the world. You know, when people, people will know you love God when they see you loving and obeying God. Okay, they will know you love God when they see you loving and obeying God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Just back a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, let's see what the Apostle Paul here was writing to the church of Corinth and trying to teach them about. In verse 3, <clears throat> He says, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. The same is known of him. So quite clearly here, Paul is telling the church of Corinth that if you're living for God, if you're loving God, if you're keeping his commandments, and if you're choosing to live differently from the world around you, the same will be known of you. People will see that. Okay, the world will see it. Christians around will you see it? And same with the world. We need to be living differently. If we're living differently, and people are seeing that, and people are observing that, it will force them to ask the questions, why are you different? Why are we not doing that? Or why are we doing this? It will start to stir them up. All right? Isn't that what God commands us to be? The salt of the earth, to give them that little taste? You know, to be the, the, the light shining in a dark place? All of these things are supposed to draw them towards Christ. 
you know, to draw them towards the truth. We need to be living differently. If we are living differently, if we're loving God, keeping his commandments, and we're living differently from the world, we can have an impact in the world. You know, when the apostles in the first century church, when it was starting, and they were going around from town to town and place to place and country to country, you can see here that Paul got the Corinth, he got the Ephesus, he got the Philippi, he got the Galatia, Thessalonica, all these different places that Paul went around to. You know, in the book of Acts, the people described them, described the apostles, described the, the Christians that were going around winning, winning that war of the Christ, the people describe them as those who turn the world upside down have come here also. All right? So their, their efforts, their changed life was evident. It was visible to those around them. And it was having a great impact. There was 3,000 souls being added to the church back in, back in, back in Paul's day. You know? What, what was different? You know? Did they have, did they have the completed word of God at that time? No, they didn't. We do. We have the completed word of God, and yet they were able to bring 3,000 people per day into God's kingdom, and yet these days we seem to be struggling to bring three people. You know, and it's, why, why is that? Is it God stepping back? Is it God's fault that people are not coming into the church, that people are not being born again? No, it's, it's, it's the Christian's fault. It's our fault. It's my fault. I'm not clearly living the way God wants me to live. I'm not having the impact that God wants me to have. Because if I was, we would see the fruit of that. You know, and I think over the last number of years, it's pretty evident to see that the church is not having the impact in the world that it's, that it's supposed to have. You know, people are not being saved. People are not being saved because the church is not living differently. You know, there's many a church now across the whole of the states, and even, even over here, the UK, Europe, everywhere, there's churches that are unrecognizable. You know? I don't need to go to Metallica concert anymore. I can go to church, and I can get the same music. You know, minus a few words, what you do, um, but they're not living the way God wants them to live, and they're not having the impact. And that's not God's fault. That is our fault. That is the church's fault, because we're not choosing to live differently. You know, we need to love God and we need to be seen to be loving God. We need to be seen obeying God. You know, that's what faith is. Faith is obedience. Faith is us showing our love for God because we just believe and trust Him enough to do so. We need to put our trust and faith in God. You know, this month we're learning about prayer, about trusting God. Well, we need to, we need to love God. If we want God's prayer power to work in our lives, then we need to show God that we love Him. And we need to put our trust in him. We need to pour our love into God. And we will rest on the fact that he will um, work his, his power and his might in our lives. But only if we're loving him. Only if we're actually trusting him and living differently from the world. So you can see that if we live differently, then we will have an impact on those around us. We will have an impact in the world. You know, we're supposed to... Um, we're supposed to stop um, or at least make it very, very difficult for the people going down the broad way. All right? We should be like a roadblock that they should have to literally come through us to get down there. I don't think we're doing that. You know, I don't think I'm doing that. And it's because 
we're putting different priorities in our lives. We're, we're saying we're, we say we love God, but are we loving God in our actions? Are we loving God in our deeds? We need to live differently. If we live differently, we will have an impact on the generation that's coming before, coming after us, the generation around us even now. So we need to live differently. Secondly, we need to teach our children. We need to teach our children. We need to, cha- we need to train our children from a young age about the differences between right and wrong as God defines it. Look at what it says there in Proverbs 22. I'm doing a bit of um, Bible gymnastics this morning. But it's because we want to see what God is saying throughout his entire word, not just in one page. But in Proverbs chapter 22, in verse 6, again a familiar portion of scripture, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Okay, um, We need to be training and teaching our children about the difference between right and wrong as God defines it, not as we define it, but as what God defines it. You know, there's plenty of Christians in the world today, or so-called Christians, or at least that's what they call themselves. I'm not too sure. I can't judge their hearts. Only God knows. But they're, they're teaching their children contrary to what God has taught. They're teaching their children, oh, the Genesis story, that didn't really happen. Yes, God saved us, but, you know, Genesis didn't really happen. You know, how can they be doing that? You know, how can, they, how can they be going around saying, well, this is true and that's not true? Every word of God is true, but yet they're teaching differently. <coughs> they're not teaching the way God wants them to teach, not teaching the difference between right and wrong. You know, some Christians, some professing Christians around the world will accept certain things in the world. They'll accept certain behaviors, accept certain types of practices, um, because they don't seem to have a problem with it. Well, God has a problem with it. You know, and God says that if I have a problem with it, then you should have a problem with it. You know, we shouldn't just be accepting the things that the world wants to do just because they're okay with it. And Christians seem to be running head over heel to win the popularity vote, to win, um, you know, the, the, the praise and the, and the accommodation of others around them instead of standing up for what God told them to stand up for. You know, abortion is wrong. You know, killing babies is wrong. And every Christian in this room should say that. If you think otherwise... You're thinking contrary to God, you know, so you need to change your mind. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, homosexuality is not okay in God's eyes. You know, it's a choice. They're not born that way. They choose that way. It's a choice, and they're sinners like everyone else. They can choose to do the right thing, or they can choose to do the wrong thing, just like we choose to do the right things or wrong things. We need to teach and train our children from a young age with the differences between right and wrong as God defines it. Okay, We need to teach them the truth of God's word. We need to teach our children to respect and fear God. Just turn back there to Psalms 33. Psalms 33. Psalms 33, verse 8. Psalms 33. See what the psalmist says here. In verse uh, 8 of chapter 33, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So clearly, God is trying to teach us here that, you know, the earth should fear him. The earth should respect him. 
Okay, the earth, the earth should reverence him because he's worthy of it. He's worthy to be praised. He's the creator. Okay, he is also the savior. We need to be teaching the world, we need to be teaching our children that God is the creator and the savior. Okay, he is worthy to be respected. He's worthy to be feared. He is worthy to be reverenced. We need to teach our children to respect and fear God. And you know, if we teach our children to respect and fear God, and we teach our children to love God and to keep his commandments, we teach our children to live for God, do you know that through your children doing so, you will have an impact on the world? You will have an impact on those around you. Simply just by teaching children the difference between right and wrong, teaching your children about God and teaching them the way that they should live. If, if we can just do that, right? if we can just teach our children, then through that, God will be able to use that to have a great impact in the world. Okay, We need to teach our children to respect and fear God. Joshua said it himself in chapter 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, So we need to teach our children. As a whole, our whole house should be driving and striving forward for God's glory. Is it always going to work out that way? No. You know, our children are still sinners. Children are still free people. They can make up their own minds, and they might choose to go on a different path. You know, but that 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 shouldn't stop us from teaching them the right path, and it shouldn't stop it shouldn't stop us from praying for God to whack them back onto the right path when they step off. Okay, it'd be better for God to whack them onto the right path than for them to stay on the wrong path. You know, so don't be afraid to pray for the bad things in life to happen to our children. You know, if our children are stepping out of line. You know, God needs to bring them back into line. You know, God, God, bring, God brought us back into line, you know, and it's good. When God brings us back into line, that it might hurt, you know, but it's, it's, it's better to be on God's path than on our own path. So don't be afraid to pray. Pray that your children get back in right with God. You know, if, if we're not praying, and if we're not asking God to correct them and bring, bring them back in the right path, then is anything going to be done? You know, do we just sit down and wait by osmosis that things will just happen? No, we need to interject ourselves. We need to bring it to God and bring bring it to Jesus and, and pray to God that, God, I have a wayward son or a wayward daughter. They've, they've wandered far from the path. Only you can bring them on back, back on that path again, Lord. All of the complaining and the moaning and the giving out that I might do won't change anything. You know, sometimes we'll just push them away. We need to get God involved in these situations. We need to get God working in their hearts because only God can change their heart. So we need to teach our children to respect and fear God. And when they're not respecting and fearing God, we need to pray to God that he will teach them to respect and fear him. Because if they're respecting and fearing God, they will even have an impact on those around them. They could do mighty things for God. We need to nurture in our children a true love for God. A true love for God. In Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 Chapter 4, or chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 4. says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the abnomition of the Lord. Okay, that, that same thing here. You know, when our children are maybe slightly going off the path and maybe not doing what God wants them to do. You know, it's not that they're not doing what we want them to do. It's that they're not doing what God wants them to do. But instead of provoking our children to wrath all the time, by, you know, constantly 
you know, point the finger at them. You know, we need to take a step back and go, God, you know, help me to teach them about your love. Help me to teach them about what you want them to do, God. Help me to teach them about your plan for their lives. Because according to, according to Paul here, and according to God, that if we bring them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord, that will, that will do wonders for them. We need to constantly bring it before God. We need God's help to teach our children. We need God's help to, to, to train our children. You know, we're, we're weak ourselves. We get it wrong. We're not perfect. But through God's help and through God's strength, we can do the right things. And if we, if we can just get our children full on fire for God, that will have a great impact on the world around us. So we need to teach our children. We need to live differently from the world, and we need to teach our children to live differently from the world. And lastly, you know, to have an impact in the next generation, we need to be preaching the word. We need to be preaching the word. You know, look at Mark 16, what Jesus said here in, in Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus here says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. So we're commanded, you know, the church, every Christian has been commanded to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, we're commanded to preach the gospel. You know, if we want to look around the world and see why the impact isn't happening, why the world is on fire for God, I believe it's because Christians are not following this commandment. It's because Christians are not going and Christians are not preaching the gospel. We are, you know, there's plenty of so-called Christians over in the States who are preaching, you know, different things. They're preaching, you know, that, you know, God, God loves you, and if you give your money to me, God will love you even more, okay? You know, there's there's many a message being preached, but I don't believe that real Christians are preaching the real gospel to every creature, because if it was, I think you'd see a different world. You would see a difference. You'd see a change. Clearly, we're not preaching the word like we should be. We're not telling people about Jesus the way that we should be. Um, you know, God has given the church, has given every believer a responsibility. He's given us different gifts. He's, in, he's, he's enabled us to do different things. You know, some people have been given the gift of teaching. Some people have been given the gift of discernment. Some people have been given the gift of being super compassionate towards people. And I've already told you I'm not that person. I do not have a lot of compassion towards people. You know, um, but some of you do, right? Some of you are there to be... Um, you know, the person that might need to be there to help someone else up. Okay, you might you might be the person that God is relying on to help that person get back up. Um, you might be the person that that person needs to rest on a while when they're having when they're going through some struggles in their lives. Um, you know, but God has given us different gifts. But regardless of the gifts that God has given us for the specific roles that He has in our lives. The one thing that we're all commanded to do is to go preach the gospel, to tell people. You know, it doesn't mean that we're all going to be standing out on the streets on our soapbox and, and, and preaching to everyone that way. 
It doesn't mean that we're going to be not going door to door every single day. It just simply means that we need to tell others about Jesus. We need to tell others about the change that's come about in our life. We need to tell others about what God has done for us. You know, it's the most difficult thing about telling someone else about Jesus is making the decision to go tell other people about Jesus. Because once you start talking, it's actually not that hard. You know, I've, I've, I found out myself time and time again, once I was out in the doors, and once I was going from place to place, and despite some doors being closed in my face rather abruptly and loudly, that was not the difficult thing. It was actually easy. Because, you know, when I was out there, and when I'd surrendered myself to go do that, God was with me. That didn't hurt me so much. The fight, the struggle was when I was sitting down at home, on the couch or whatever, will I go? That's, that's the struggle. Okay, that's the struggle. Will I tell the work colleague about this? Will I stop this person in the cafe? Will I give this track to the person in the toll booth going up the, the motorway? You know, it's, it's those, those times that are, that, that are the struggles. But, you know, that's, that's where we show our faith. That's where we love God. That's where we are obeying God. That's where we're showing our love and our faith in God by doing that thing, the small thing, making the decision. So we need to, we need to, we need to make that decision. We need to preach the word. We need to go tell people about Jesus. You know, we need to preach the word regardless of what happens. You know, Paul said in second, Paul said to Timothy in second Timothy that to preach the word, Timothy, and be instant. You know, in season, out of season. It doesn't matter what's coming at you. Just go preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. You know, we might not be traveling from city to city and state to state and country to country, but we can certainly just tell those that we come in contact with us locally what's happening. You know, if, if everyone just told those that we meet locally about Jesus, you know, then we wouldn't need someone like Andrew going half across the world to tell other people. Right? We should be doing that. You know, we should be telling people locally. You know, um, when we when we when we come across people in the cafes, whatever, you know, seeing the same person serve us the same cups of coffee every day, do, do we not stop and think that maybe this is God trying to put someone in our lives to? You need to give the gospel to that person. You know, we're seeing them every day. You know, we're, we're developing a relationship. You know, it gets a lot easier to talk to someone about Jesus when we have some rapport, right? You can you can you know, start opening up the 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 paths of conversation there. So we need, to be, we need to be aware of those situations that God brings into our lives, those people that God brings into our life. You know, the Bible says that no man comes to God unless he be drawn, but God uses people to draw other people to him. You know, God used someone to draw me to him. Okay, so we need to be aware and acknowledge those situations around us, those, those, those positions that God puts us in. Maybe God wants me to talk to this person about Jesus today. You know, today is the day of salvation. You know, it's you know today is the day for that person to believe and to and to surrender and get right with God. But today is also the day for me to go tell that person about Jesus, so that they can um, can know about Him, know about the truth, and get right with God. We need to be preaching the word. You know, how will people ever get saved? How will people ever come to God and come to the truth of His word unless someone tells them? Unless someone tells them. Look what it says in Romans chapter ten. Romans chapter 10.
last portion of Scripture this morning. Look what Paul says there in Romans chapter 10. In verse 14, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without someone telling them the truth? Okay? And when it says preacher here, it doesn't just mean someone standing behind the pulpit in the context of the church. It's talking about someone going out telling them, preaching to them. And that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're old or young or whether you're um, a man or a woman, you can be that preacher. You can be that soul warner. Okay? You can be that person who's giving the gospel. You know, um, it's, it's, it's not for a select few. Right? You know, giving the gospel is not for a select few. Giving the gospel is for all Christians. You know, Christian, um, God saved all Christians. God saved you. God saved you. So if God saved you, then you know about the gospel, and that commandment is given to you to go tell others about the gospel. Okay, don't be, we can't be relying and waiting on other people to do the work for us. It's supposed to be for us. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be for the individual, because it was the individual that Christ died for. Okay, Christ didn't die for a building. Christ died for you and me. Christ died for the individual. Christ died for the sinner. So it's the sinner saved by grace who needs to go off and tell others about the grace that saved them. Okay, we need to go and preach the word. So if we want to have an impact on the next generation, if we want to um, see changes, if we want to see revival, if we want to see God's spirit working abundantly, in, in, in the world around us, then we need to live differently. If we're not living differently, um, then wh- why should we expect the world to live differently? We need to be living differently. We need to teach and train our children. If we want the next generation to have an effect, we need to leave some memorials for them. We need to leave some something for them to, to stir up in their own hearts, you know, um, what amazing things God did in the lives of their parents, what amazing things God did in their own lives. And by remembering that, it would stir them up to keep close to God, to draw closer to God and do what God wants them to do. And we need to be preaching the word. We need to be giving others the gospel. You know, the gospel is the single and biggest cause for change in the world. You know, if we're preaching the gospel, people will hear and people will get saved. You know, so, you know, what effect will you have on the next generation. You know, are, are people seeing God in your life? You know, are God's, you know, is, is, is God shining through you? Is, is people seeing Christ in your life? Is, is, is people, are people seeing Christ in my life? That's the question Christians need to ask themselves. You know, and don't underestimate your influence on the next generation. You know, there was, um, years ago, back in the States, there was um, a Sunday school teacher, a man by the name of Edward Kimball. And Edward Kimball um, spent many a Sunday trying to get true to a teenager, trying to get true to a rebellious, stubborn um, teenage boy. And um, he pursued this boy through prayer and through the through the preaching of God's word and the teaching in the Sunday schools, week after week, month after month, um, and you know this 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 man Edward Kimball, he had he had he had met um, 
this this teenage boy in a shop outside of the church context, and he 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 really gave him the gospel and put the gospel on him. And this 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 man, Edward Kimball, thought he had messed it up. He thought he had fumbled it or you know wasted an opportunity. Well, you know that 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 same boy, um, that same teenager, despite Edward Kimball's thoughts that he had messed it up on that occasion, that same boy was actually changed on the spot. That same boy was a fellow by the name of D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody, when he got stirred up and got right for God, he ended up traveling over to the UK. He ended up traveling over to Liverpool, where he um, visited several churches. And one of the churches he was preaching in was pastored by, um, pastored by a certain pastor by the name of F.B. Mayer. And this guy um, was, you know, he, he was a Christian. He was following God. But I think, you know, somewhere along the lines, he had gone a bit away from God, not, you know, as close to God as he would have liked to have. And initially, he wasn't really moved that much by D.L. Moody. He probably didn't like them, you know, because the truth always convicts us, right? You know, I remember, I remember um, when I was learning from the Bible and learning from pastor and, and different people about music, you know, I was, music was ingrained in my life. I struggled and I fought against that all the time, you know, and just like D.L. Moody, um, or just like F.B. Mayer, it took a while for him probably to come around to, 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 to the preaching and God's truth. But eventually, this guy, F.B. Mayer, then through D.L. Moody's invitation to go to the States and to tour around the States and to, and, to, and to visit churches and preach the word, he did so. And in one of the churches, one of the meetings that he was preaching in, it it had a great impact on a young minister at the time called J. Wilbur Chapman. And J. Wilbur Chapman then got stirred right for God, and he ended up preaching many and many um, um, uh, meetings and, and, and outdoor sessions, preaching God's word at a time when there was a great revival starting to kind of build up in the States. Well, J. Wilbur Chapman's preaching ended up affecting a young... Um, when I say young, I mean, you know, he wasn't a teenager, but he, he was still a, a young enough man as... In his, in his uh, mid-30s, he was a retired baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday went on to um, serve God and, and preach and teach all over the States through perhaps one of the greatest revival times in the history of the States. And he ended up preaching many times, and he ended up um, reaching another um, young man by the name of Billy Graham. And then Billy Graham went on and done the same thing. And through his preaching and teaching, through the moving of the Holy Spirit through that time, Many people were born again, and many people were saved, all because of Edward Kimball and him just doing what God wanted him to do. You see, Edward Kimball was living differently. Edward Kimball was teaching the children that were assigned to him in the Sunday school classroom. Okay, and you know he was he was trying to teach these children, possibly in the absences of some of their parents. Who knows? I don't know all, all, all of the all of the situations with these children, um, but he it was he brought the responsibility himself to teach these children, including the El Moody, and it was by preaching the word and loving God and just keeping God's commandments that Edward Kimball was able to have an have an impact on this guy, the El Moody, and through him and his effort and just his love for God, his impact ended up stretching down for generations, and it ended up resulting in thousands of people being born again. Just because of each one of these guys doing those three simple things, living differently from the world, teaching the children, their children and other children, 
and also preaching the word. So don't underestimate the influence that you can have on the next generation. You know, we, you know, I hear, I hear Brother Dan all the time, you know, praying for revival. You know, he wants a revival. Well, you know, if we want a revival, then we need to be just doing those three simple things. And if we're doing those things, who knows? God might move in the Holy Spirit to have a revival even here in this dark time. Only you, you know, only you can decide how you'll affect the next generation. You know, this guy Edward Kimball could have, could have left the El Moody alone. You know, he could have chosen to look at the El Moody and go, this guy's too stubborn, this guy is too much of a rebellious teenager, this guy's beyond repair. Um, you know, some of us might have looked at ourselves in that same way, that we were beyond repair, but he didn't. He kept going. He kept... He kept um, striving forward to have an impact on D.L. Moody's life. Um, and he had to make that choice. He had to make that decision. How was, he, how was Edward Kimball going to impact his generation and the next generation for God? How was he going to do that? And just like Edward Kimball, we've got that same decision to make ourselves. How are we going to affect and impact the next generation? Let's close in a word of prayer.